Blog Talk Radio. Hi there. Greetings. Marion? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I'm here too. I don't know. I, I heard the uh, the general promo and I was listening for the Just the Freedom promo. I didn't hear it. I don't know if you did. Did you hear it? No, I don't think Hello? so. Mm-mm. Okay. I'm here. Well, we're hooked up. So that's okay. We'll just we're 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 we'll just continue and move forward. Anyway, good afternoon. This is Miriam Gillian sitting in for Leslie Gist of the Gist of Freedom. And we're here today with Marion Douglas Ongaro, who is a writer, a journalist, and international consultant in elections and human rights, and the founder of the international group, the Afro Americas Network for the Afro Descendants of the Americas. And she lives in Washington, D.C., and Rome, Italy. So today we're going to just have some open ended discussion. Uh, about issues concerning the 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 elections and the aftermath of uh, of our election, what what Marion is calling the coup, and perhaps some other things concerning Africa, Afro Americans, and and in general, just a general topic. So, um, so good afternoon, Marion, and it's such a pleasure Hi, talking Miriam. to you earlier. Yeah, and it's interesting because yeah. our name is one one letter apart. So. One one letter apart. I know. Yeah. Well, this is an adopted name. I uh, when I I went on an educational journey to uh, Senegal and the Gambia and was given that name. And my uh, family name, the, the the surname is my husband's last last name. So we'll right. we'll, we'll talk about that off air. Okay, <laughs> so cool. My nom de plume. Yes, okay. So, so good, but we talked just briefly in preparation for this conversation on the gist of freedom about the current state of events, and since we are all going to discuss, we're all representative of our, our individual areas in within the U.S., I know you're down in Washington, D.C., and perhaps you can just give me your take of basically what's happening to our our uh, Washington, D.C. black people counterparts. What's going on as they see the degree in which the Trump administration is basically dismantling all, a lot of uh, liberal gains, a lot of gains for civil rights, and, uh, and, and as we appear to be in the middle of a coup. So why don't you take it and we'll have a wonderful discussion. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to back up a little bit and start with something that I like to do when I'm talking to someone that I don't know and who doesn't know me, and that's for us to introduce ourselves to each other, particularly as two black women, and particularly both of us being slavery descendants from the Americas, but we are from different backgrounds. So I am black American. My family is from here. You and I are both in the United States right now having this conversation. We're not in Kingston, Jamaica. We're not in Port of Spain, Trinidad. We're not in Limon, Puerto Rico. I mean, Limon, Costa Rica. Uh, we are in. We're not. We're not in Georgetown, Guyana. We're in Washington. We're in the United States. I'm in Washington. You're in New York. Okay, so mm-hmm. I'm Black American. I'm from here. My family was enslaved here. My family has been here since before there was a United States. And mm-hmm. so I come from the population that we are now using the term "deus," descendants of Africans enslaved in the United States. And mm-hmm. you and I both are Afro descendants of the Americas. So that's mm-hmm. me. So, so mm-hmm. you are okay. okay. And I I am what you would consider an immigrant from the 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 Afro American state of our country called Guyana, um, formerly a British colony uh and, be, and which subsequently became a socialist republic and is under a democratic rule at the present time. I've been here uh, most of my life, so I consider myself an American of Guyanese descent because even though I was born there and I go back and I have lots, and then this is both sides of my family, uh, I would consider myself due to schooling and and obviously due to environment very American, but with a, a decidedly Afro-Caribbean and diasporic 
uh, point of view. My background well, of is course. I have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yes, who you uh, are. my background. Yes, I've been a. a I was a journalist um, for a few years as an editor from Newsday, and also I have been. Oh, Many many things in between there, but I'm I'm well you know well versed in community work. I worked for community for many years, and so I consider myself very much a community advocate. So I currently live in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, I consider myself still an activist in the community. So, all right. So is that enough? Well, well I, I used to it? be. Well, it's interesting. Let's. It's kind of like a, a we're improvising jazz music. But, yeah, we will yes. get to that political discussion. But what we're talking about now is extremely political, and it's about mm-hmm. how our relationship with each other and with the people who are listening and our communities. So you you could connect when I say that I used to be in the 1990s for a while. I was press secretary, and I was also foreign policy aide, especially on policy on Haiti, for mm-hmm. the late congressman Major Owens, who was from Brooklyn. Oh yeah, and um, uh-huh. yeah, I worked for Congressman Owens, and wow, uh, that so was you a very lived up important... here in New York, is that? <laughs> oh no, 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 no. He lived down oh, you here were, you in were DC. Washington. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. sure was. Yeah, I was. I was it. Well, okay. I was it. I was. Yeah, I was the only press secretary. There was no other press uh, person, no press secretary in the district. I was it. So mm-hmm. yeah, okay. so we have that in common. That's a bridge thing. Lovely. And. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yes, so you would not be familiar with what was happening with us, uh, the black Americans, right after slavery ended here in the U.S. One of the things I was going to say that, that, that stood out to me, that jumps out of what you told me about your background, is that we both mm-hmm. come out of the British colonial slavery background, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have that in common, and that's a very important point in common, I would like to see some slave ship lists from the British uh, slave traders, you know, from Africa to the various points, however they took people to Guyana, because I don't know Mm -hmm. that much about that. I just know that Guyana is conflated with the Caribbean, even though it is on the coast of South America, but it's a a continental South American country. But culturally and racially, it, it has so much in common with the Caribbean that it's considered a Caribbean country, but that's, that's right. an exception. Anyhow, mm-hmm. so um, uh, here in the United States, when did when did when did they end slavery in in Guyana? I don't even know that date. It's important. And you know what? The, the date for me is I know it was like in the eight. I'm not even sure because, as I said, I was real. I was raised here, and right. I know it was like eighteen. Before United States, it was like eight. I don't want. Right. To, let me look it up a second. Maybe, I don't want to. I wonder if it was the 1834 when Britain ended all of its slavery. Maybe that was yes, the I one think also. So. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes, because right, we celebrate. Uh, we celebrate in in conjunction with many other. Um, actually, in eight yes, 1834 we, with many other Caribbean nations. Absolutely correct. Solid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And well, that that is absolutely cogent to a future conversation we could have because uh, uh, the United States Revolution had to do with the British discussion about abolishing black slavery, the the transatlantic slave trade and and black slavery. And there were certain elements here in this British colony that is now the U.S., that did not go along mm-hmm. with that. So it's very interesting <laughs> to hear the truth about how the United States started in respect mm-hmm. to what they were going to do with slavery, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I've been stunned mm-hmm. to read both Simon Shama, who's a British historian, and also Dr. Gerald Horn, who is black American, and his book mm-hmm. is more recent uh, about the origins of the American Revolution and the role that maintaining black slavery played in that. Anyway, mm-hmm. so um, we go through these cycles. Um, they just don't know what to do with us, Miriam. Here, Black America. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm laughing because it's it's this is this is the conversation. You know, I don't know that many um, present day 
and I call I refer to President Black Americans refer refer to are, are aware of that thinking. I don't know. I, I used to say this to my class. I taught middle school, and I told uh-huh. my students that I I was I made them acutely aware that listen, we are not needed in this system. <laughs> yeah, and that we are recognized like the monolithic group that they recognize us as. If you show your black brown face anywhere, it's really it, you're superfluous to everything they do, and so it's like, ugh, what a bother! We just try to make them go away. And so I made them aware as middle schoolers, you're not needed in the system, so be very acutely aware how it will, you know, change the relationships as you grow up. But yeah, <laughs> they don't know what well, to do with us. That's interesting because mm-hmm. again, I would have to analyze that a bit differently. Because we really have to look at not just what is happening with the uh, black people in the U.S. who are from the U.S., but we need to go Mm -hmm. country by country in the Americas. We really need a pan-American perspective as well as individual, local, national perspectives. The United Mm -hmm. States is extremely insular, Mm -hmm. and I managed to break out of that at a certain point in my life when I was young. I had no idea how bad it was. The mm-hmm. apparently uh, much of the United States world, view of the world only has to do with military presence and strategic interests, whatever those may be. I guess that depends on what the list of the top corporations that have the most power and influence. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things. So, um, but like I said, one of the biggest differences between me and you actually, mm-hmm. is that I have no direct family outside the United States. I mm-hmm. have no family. I have a relative. I have a cousin who moved to Europe and married a, a, a lady in Europe while he was touring over there in his work, I guess, back in the mm-hmm. 1980s or something. But mm-hmm. he's from Ohio, okay? He's from Ohio. I, okay. I could go to an airport. I could go to an airport, but I, I have even people who, who, like you said, some people were brought here, brought here as infants, or their parents uh, came here and they were born here, but mm-hmm. their family is from a different country. They have a link, whether even if mm-hmm. they've never been there, you know, even some people, frankly, even people who are refugees, that you would have a serious reasons not to go back to where your family came from, but Colin mm-hmm. Powell, um, Shirley Chisholm, um, mm-hmm. those folks are folks whose families came here. And it was not under, it definitely, definitely, uh, Mariam, I think you would have to agree that my, migration is voluntary migration and, well, frankly, nothing is like the transatlantic slave trade. That's nothing right. will mm-hmm. ever equal. We have no idea what it was really like to be in the hold of a slave ship. And then after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to be deposited somewhere on a piece of solid mm-hmm. land. Uh, we don't even have the right words for that. That is not uh, a normal human demographic process. So we need mm-hmm. a new chapter. We have to write, not white people, not the, mm-hmm. the descendants and the countries of the slave trade that were conducting the slave trade, Okay, mm-hmm. um, but but we, the slavery descendants, need to get around a big table. It could be a virtual table as well as some real tables over the next uh, five to ten years, uh, sooner than that. I'm sure people have already started to do it to some extent. But we have a mm-hmm. right and the responsibility to talk in our language from our experience about who we are and how we got here. And and getting mm-hmm. here does not mean coming from someplace else, except for those populations like yourself, other folks, who have actually moved away in the Americas or elsewhere to a different place from where their family mm-hmm. was enslaved. Mm-hmm. But when you mm-hmm. are in the place where your family was enslaved, to me that is something very special and very unique. And no other population is like. I would, you and I, as I was saying before when we talked before we went on the air, um, mm-hmm. we, we can go to Mexico. You and I can go visit Mexico. Mm-hmm. There is, first of all, everybody has to recognize that there is a significant population of black people, African people in Mexico who are from Mexico, and Mexico hasn't wanted to deal with them forever, you know, since they mm-hmm. stopped being so-called useful. 
uh, to what the Mexicans wanted. Now they're now going to be recognized in the Mexican census ever since, I think, last year or 2015. Um, Mm -hmm. But I will never be, I would never claim, this is an ethical issue, ethical, moral, historical, and political also, because I could fight to be uh, treated in Mexico that I should have the same status as an Afro-Mexican, but I think that is really wrong. I, that's not my battle. That's not for me to fight. My, my battle, if I'm in Mexico, is to ha- help the Afro-Mexican people be treated like who they are, like, like who they should mm-hmm. be treated as, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's not, my, it's not my energy to go and compete with the Afro-Mexicans in Mexico, okay, in, in ways that could be against those people's best interests. No, not for mm-hmm. me to uh, act like I'm a Mexican. I speak Spanish. That doesn't make me Afro-Mexican. Mm-hmm. It don't make me mm-hmm. Puerto Rican. It don't make me mm-hmm. Costa Rican like my sister-in-law. You know, and mm-hmm. so but we need, we need uh, to write our chapter of human demography because the transatlantic mm-hmm. slave trade changed the world. It changed human demography. Mm-hmm. But back to this election cycle. So after the Civil War... Okay. Black Americans were the majority population. This has to do with the places where Native Americans, obviously, were the majority across this continent. Uh, they, the, the white, the European settlers didn't, they didn't, they weren't happy with that, so they committed genocide. Um, mm-hmm. But in South Carolina, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Florida, those four specific states, we should focus on what life is like in those states today. And we need to learn the history because they have now brought what was committed in Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida, and South Carolina in the 1870s and 1880s, the overthrow of democracy. They have now brought that to the United States. And I call it the neo-Confederacy. We are in the neo-Confederacy now. But this has been happening for a long time because if people had done, if the United States had stopped the coups that they committed against the democratically elected black officials who were elected by the black voters, the majority black voters of South Carolina, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Florida in the 1870s and 1880s, we would not be where we are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it's interesting. I wrote down the, the I like the term neo-Confederacy. South Carolina, Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida. I also have uh, just recently moved back from Florida. And so I got a, you know, my own anecdotal version of what Florida looks like. I was in deep Florida and down in uh, southern Florida in Fort Lauderdale area. Um, And I I found it uh, really shameful just how, how folks are being treated on a certain level because when I, or even, I would say that, first of all, and then I will say this. I also found it shameful that because there's such a big disconnect between the recent immigrants to the Florida area where I was and the yeah. existing uh, Floridians, the ones who came through slavery, there's a disconnect between those two groups from my perspective. And yeah. I, I, I really I was I, I it struck me first when I first arrived because I did not bring my car originally and I was walking and I'm used to in Brooklyn um being surrounded in Brooklyn being you know at one point Brooklyn was 50% black people and I live in a black neighborhood so and even as they work or move on the subways etc I'm going to bump into a lot of black people and generally right. if you're on a street and you see someone who you may not know but you could either by dress or manner relate to, you might give the nod, or if you're in a place where you're, you're few compared to majority white, you give the nod. I found in Florida, as I walked the streets, I would look in, try to look into the faces of the people passing me, and there was no, there was no look, there was obviously no nod. They would, and I even said or spoke and said, like, good morning, just a greeting. Good morning, good afternoon, and oftentimes I'll get no register, no register, and I was I was stunned. I I didn't understand. <laughs> I did not now, which, understand. Now, which which population were you interacting with? Probably, I think I, I, after a while, I I started to understand the population. It was mostly Haitian, 
Uh, you have a lot of where I was in Broward County, Haitian, Jamaican, a heavy density of those two groups. And oftentimes the Haitian youth are, that's who usually go walking on the road. They don't, I mean, when I say youth in their 20s or 30s, they, they just, they just would not recognize. And I lived in a black neighborhood in Florida. And over time, you know, obviously I got to, you know, becoming cis to some because I spoke or they lived in the, in the uh, Congo area where we lived. But um, I just found it very uh, strange and odd. Um, I just thought that, you know, everybody, I lived also, I've also lived in North Carolina for 11 years. I went to school there. and so My family was I'm enslaved to... in North Carolina. Okay. So so now, yeah. com, con, I guess my... My consternation had to do with the contrast between North Carolinian behavior and Floridian behavior in terms of the black population. In, in North Carolina at the time I went to school, and I went to school back in 75 to 79, and then mm-hmm. I, was there, I was there an, an extra set of years as I went to graduate school and lived there. I was there a total of 11 years, and in that uh-huh. time, uh, during that time frame, I came back in 86 to Brooklyn. Okay, so in that time frame, uh, North Carolinians were still overtly friendly to other black people, you know. And so uh-huh. it was like, hey, how you doing? Wow, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was a lot of social, uh, you know, greetings. So I'm going right. now I'm in Florida in 2010, and I don't get any resonance from some of the residents or the people walking the street. Uh, However, okay. but hmm. what you just said, though, the thing is, it's, mm-hmm. it's a different population. It's not the same population. It's not the same culture. It's, you were yes. not. You were. You did not say that you were in the Black American community in Florida. You were in a Black community. Now, possibly, because yes. I've lived and worked in Haiti. I love Haiti. I respect Haiti deeply, mm-hmm. and I want to see mm-hmm. Haiti get better. I want sure. to see Haiti not as a colony of any country, whether the United States, mm-hmm. France, Canada, or mm-hmm. whoever. Um, yeah. But I wonder if you had said bonjour, because the other thing is, if you said there's a mixture of Jamaicans and Haitians, I mean, right there, mm-hmm. until until mm-hmm. we finally are able to gel, to create, we mm-hmm. what we're doing now is creating a common identity. That's what I'm mm-hmm. saying with the Afro, um, Afro-descendants of the Americas. We actually have a common identity, but we have never mm-hmm. lived this before. We were never mm-hmm. all together in, in a place before, maybe in some places in the Caribbean or New York City to some extent, um, mm-hmm. um, Miami to a, to a lot lesser extent because Miami has been used. Uh, it was used politically mm-hmm. with regard to, um, Cuba. to Cuba, mm-hmm. the U.S. policy toward mm-hmm. Cuba. So you had that massive mm-hmm. population it's changed mm-hmm. a lot now, but it's still mm-hmm. Miami's gaze is towards South America and, to a lesser extent, the Spanish-speaking Caribbean. Whereas, mm-hmm. what, where where black people, as I understand it, used to really go, uh, where I partly grew up, uh, Louisiana, New Orleans mm-hmm. was always mm-hmm. a better place for Afro-Caribbean people, and would feel mm-hmm. quite at home in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, the, the, well, I, I think you're making New a Orleans. fair point in that mm-hmm. it was probably the fact that I'm an English speaker, perhaps, but I guess, and also customs. I didn't, I mean, I didn't hold the opinion of any animosity. I just marked it as that's different, you know? And oh, so, sure, right, I mean, right. So, over, I'm saying there's the lack of, lack of cohesion, the lack of a, mm-hmm. of a, a real community presence, really. But yeah, if you and, and over Haiti, time, I started to understand the dynamics of what the area was bringing because, um, okay, you know, it's still a highly high unemployment. Um, no matter what, they, they, you've have where I where I was living, they have people who are homeowners or they're renters with homes, and yeah, and I mean, I, I just took that to mean that that meant community. <laughs> it didn't no, work no. out that way. It doesn't. No, it's not. So. <laughs> no, it's about the relationship between people, mm-hmm. not the property mm-hmm. they have. It's about people's relationship mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. with slavery descendants, with the Afro descendants of the Americas, because we are not uh, generally, I would not say that we don't jump into trust real easily. And yeah. why would we with our history? We would have to be insane. 
to be like that. You have to have a death <laughs> yeah. wish. No, for God's yeah. sake, all we've gone through is exploitation. My goodness, and it hasn't, right. it hasn't ended. It has not ended. Mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, common sense and logic and one's co- collective and individual experience would tell you to get to know somebody over time. Mm-hmm. Get to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Let them show you what they're about. Come, people right. grinning your face. Mm-hmm. Hi, and, you know, they got a piece of paper behind their back for you. But this is the thing. This is the thing. I looked at it as, okay, Brooklyn is also a community of immigrants, Uh, not North Carolina so much. They're very insular. But in either group, just by my appearance, you know, my hair is always natural. You know, I'm always wearing very natural-looking clothing. And, you know, normally I'm saying even if I walked out here now and I just, my eyes crossed somebody who I did not know, they would, by just the eyes or the look, they would acknowledge. So I was just looking for that. I was not looking for anything sure. more than that. So that's what made me feel like, oh, this is a different population. They don't, well, you they know, don't, they don't signal in that way. Mm-hmm. I would love, and, and I would like for us to work together, you and me, you, yourself mm-hmm. and myself and Leslie, mm-hmm. and to to do a program sometime in the next few months in New York City, possibly in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that has to do about our intersecting communities and mm-hmm. um, several other things that are on the agenda, particularly about dealing with this new political uh, situation that we're all in. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I have to say that there's a flip side to you said that you talked about being immigrant communities in Brooklyn. But I mm-hmm. have relatives who are there, and I have community that I don't know because um, it's like you have tons of relatives, I'm sure, in Guyana, but you don't you know some of them, but you don't know all of them, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I have people who I'm related to by community who are mm-hmm. collectively from South Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people came up from South Carolina. I know my grandmother's uh um, sister, my, my father's aunt, told me some years ago that they would take the boat, uh, and I'm talking about in the 19th century, the late 19th century, they would take a mm-hmm. boat from Charleston up to New York mm-hmm. City. That's how they would mm-hmm. resettle. Um, okay. and, and this large population from South Carolina in particular, I don't know about other uh, parts of um, the black community from the U.S. so much in terms of New York City, but I know that there's a really large population of folks from South Carolina. Well, and, well I'm aware um, of that, and let me tell you why. Just stick a pin. The reason why I know is my mother, <laughs> my mother, my mother became a minister in a okay. Baptist church. Okay, and the Baptist mm-hmm. church, I came, I was also as a young child went to this church, not as a member, but I belonged to the Girl Scouts and did all these things with the church. And subsequently, you know, my daughter then went, was raised and through the church. Now, yeah, the church is predominantly North Carolina, Virginia, and South Carolina. There and you go. I realized that those that, that they, they, I mean, it's in a section of Brooklyn that is known by its, uh, early settler name called Weeksville. So Weeksville, oh, Weeksville, is, yeah, Weeksville, Weeksville, yes, Weeksville. Mm-hmm. And so the church itself has a long storied history. But the people who migrated up north, they, you know, they associated with them, and they're still somewhat like that. Now the the infiltration of Caribbean types like ourselves, my family, and. Uh, I, I would, perhaps I would a, find another word because infiltration doesn't have well, a Well, I understand. Yes, sis. Okay. Yeah, I but would anyway, find another word. But the, but yeah. the association. Confusion, maybe. I infusion. understand. It, yeah, diffusion, arrival. The diffusion of, yeah. of, of the newer uh, Caribbean arrivals. And, and I say it like this because I know from the immigration and the visa situation, the 60s was a time when the United States uh, made some kind of maybe quid pro quo with Guyana and allowed a greater migratory group. And as more uh-huh. Caribbeans have come up from the 60s and they started to filter into, you know, the existing uh, spiritual houses, et cetera. So that it now has more, more, just a slight, if I were to just guess, I'd say 10% of the population may be Caribbean origin or background. And that includes okay. 
you know, uh, yeah, of, of all types. So, yeah, it's not predominantly that at all. It's still predominantly South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia. <laughs> so I okay. Yes. Well, the interesting thing is that um, because, like I said earlier, it's so important in terms of our conversation now and into the future, um, the process by which we create this common space and a common identity, the place where we overlap is that we are all Afro-descendants from the Americas. And this, I think this is a very important thing. A lot of people, and you were a little bit, maybe a little bit younger than me, but um, I was in the 70s, I was in college, I was in the black student movement, I was at Lincoln University in Pennsylvania, and we mm-hmm. were actively involved in, in um, anti-apartheid protests and stuff, very effective, mm-hmm. and boycotts and things. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm just trying to lose my train of thought there for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this is hilarious. This is funny. It's gonna be yeah, I know. Back. I understand. But, um, okay, that's all right. That's okay, because you were saying but, about the common mm-hmm. – you were saying something about yeah. the common – Common, Our uh, common identity, identity. Mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. not about you becoming Black American, because that mm-hmm. population was created during slavery here. Mm-hmm. It's not about mm-hmm. me becoming Guyanese. If I go to Guyana mm-hmm. and live there for fifty years, I'm never going to be Black Guyanese. Right. Never. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not. If this is not, we cannot take white settler concepts of identity. Okay, and and change our reality and put it, it's like, you know, to put the the wrong kind of wine in the wrong bottle and all that kind of mess. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Because we have been here, the black American people, for for example, but I saw the same thing um, and heard in other parts, in the Caribbean and South America, folks who have just been sitting there holding on for the last 200, 300 years we, they do not need somebody to come in and blow up their reality. If people want to come in and get to know them, yes. If people want to come in and cooperate with, with, with them on what they have been trying to do to become, to be treated fully human, what they've been working on, mm-hmm. the project they've been working on for the last, you know. But mm-hmm. to, to come, people coming in and saying, we've got a new concept for you, and this is what why it's so important, this is also important and, and you know, but, mm-hmm. but when you destabilize, we don't need any more destabilization. We have yeah. no, we have no protected status. We are not recognized mm-hmm. as a, even as a population group. Just to say somebody is black, there's a ton mm-hmm. of black people in the world. They're mm-hmm. neither Guyanese nor black American, okay, mm-hmm. nor slavery descendants. So it is really, it is really very destabilizing to mess with well, the identities of, of the slavery descendants of the Americas, including here in the U.S., but all through the Americas. I, I take up for people who are Garifuna, the Garifuna, whether they are from mm-hmm. um, Nicaragua, whether they are from mm-hmm. uh, Bluefields or Orinoco or, or Guatemala mm-hmm. or Honduras, you know, mm-hmm. from Corn Island um, off mm-hmm. the coast of Nicaragua. Those people, we do not, we have to be treated carefully. We have too much to, to, uh, to unload. You know, we have too much to process. We still have to process the last 300, 400, 500 years. Same with, same with the indigenous people, Native Americans. But one thing right. I was going to say, I was standing on the street in New York, I forget, Avenue of the Americans or somewhere, and this mm-hmm. other black lady was standing nearby me. And the way that things mm-hmm. are right now in New York City, you don't know. If I'm, if I'm standing on the street in Raleigh, North Carolina, in general, and I look over mm-hmm. and I see another black person, nine times out of ten, I'm pretty much going to figure and know that this other person is also black American. But mm-hmm. I was talking to this lady briefly, and um, I asked her where she was from to get a sense where she, you know, Caribbean or... Mm-hmm. you know, where she might be from. Mm-hmm. But she told me, she said, I'm from here. But, I mean, when you <laughs> live in a situation, and like I said, if we were in, if we were, if we were in Martinique, but more, it's, more the, it's more the white-run countries. It's more the countries where the black people have been marginalized as a population that's really not wanted. Argentina is perfect. 
Argentina is mm-hmm. a place where the actual mm-hmm. population of black people who are from Argentina, they have to be treated with respect. They have to be recognized. Their issues mm-hmm. have to be addressed. It's not about other people coming and saying, I'm black, so that makes me black Afro-Argentine. Or Canada. Mm-hmm. Canada is another perfect example because the people who are black who are from Canada, the Canadian government really has kind of used immigrant black population to um, mm-hmm. put further push to the side the realities and the history of the blacks who are from Canada. And Canada, when mm-hmm. Canada had slavery back in the 1700s and stuff, okay, um, mm-hmm. I had a lady tell me one time in, in Canada, I, my only time so far there, we were actually having an argument. But we were were supposed to be at a human rights conference, a conference about black human rights in North America, only the conference did not have any black Americans from the U.S., and it did not have Mm. any black Canadians who were actually from Canada, only people who had migrated there recently Mm -hmm. um, or who had migrated there, period. And so I'm standing on the street in New York talking to this lady, and, and she says, I'm from here. And I said, so am I. And then she said something to the effect that how strange it is to have people come to you in New York all the time and be asking, well, where are you, where are you really from? Where are you from? <laughs> and to say, I'm black American, I am from here. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's like either it doesn't have any meaning to people anymore mm-hmm. or it's just something that really existentially very, very bizarre. And then mm-hmm. connecting that with what I was saying about what happened in Canada, I was talking to this lady from Trinidad who's living in Canada and uh, we were arguing and I can't remember how it all started but we were at a dinner that had to do with this human rights conference where I, I said mm-hmm. talking about black human rights in North America with no black Americans on the panels and no <laughs> um, black Canadians who were from mm-hmm. the, you know the Canadian black people from Canada mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is astounding but they had a Chinese lady she wasn't talking about black folks either. They had a Native American and indigenous women's panel, which I was cool with, but even they didn't talk about relations between um, Canadian Native people and, and black Canadians. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so at one point we're at this dinner table arguing, and this lady from, from Trinidad living in, uh, in Toronto, she says to me, I asked her, just, I said, well, how, what's happening? What's the situation with you all, uh, the immigrant black people and the black Canadians? And she just blurted out. She said, they see us as colonizers. Mm-hmm. And I didn't say anything because it was so powerful. She said that out of her own mouth. They see mm-hmm. us as colonizers. And that is kind of, I, I find that really, really sad. And I don't mm-hmm. want to see that happen to other black populations, not just here in the U.S., but, yes, including black Americans. I don't want that mm-hmm. to be you know, forced upon any Afro-descended population in the Americas, no people in the world, really. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, so we can come back to that later, but there's a whole, the whole issue of existentialism, um, um, what it means to have, you know, to have been, people compare everything to, to slavery today. Everything is slavery. No, it's not. Chattel slavery mm-hmm. was an entirely different thing where your actual being a human being was not even, was, it was not only not recognized, it was actively denied every second of every day for all of your life and, and intergenerationally. So when, when slavery was in it, when the British ended slavery in 1834, when the United States basically committed suicide, killed itself, brought itself to the verge of suicide through a civil war, mm-hmm. and, and then said, okay, well, let these black people be free. But not really, really, but we'll let them, you know, go. Um, what, beyond signing a piece of paper, what was done? What healing process? What was really done to recognize our humanity? And those are things I think we are still struggling with to this day. Now, coming back to this election, because it's directly related, mm-hmm. um, if you haven't seen the documentary American Blackout, I highly recommend yeah. it. It is free okay. on YouTube now. It got an mm-hmm. award. It came out in 2006, so that's 11, almost 11 years ago, uh, produced mm-hmm. by a fellow by the name of Ian Inaba. I, and like Nancy, A, B, like 
Berry A. Ian Inaba. Mm-hmm. And I have to give this dude his, his props. Um, I think he may be Asian-American. Um, Inaba sounds Japanese, but I, I, I could okay. be Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a person of color. I don't know him, I, and if he keeps a low profile, I don't blame him, but he, he and other people <laughs> made a dynamite documentary, American Blackout, which focused on representative, then-representative Cynthia McKinney, who was, is, mm-hmm. she's from Georgia, mm-hmm. and interestingly I enough, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I know you know, but some people may not, mm-hmm. but right. Cynthia, mm-hmm. who is a friend of mine, um, she now has a Ph.D., and she's teaching in Asia. She was the last uh, a few days ago or whatever, a few weeks ago, and I was mm-hmm. in contact with her. Um, mm-hmm. But Cynthia was a member of Congress. She um, was the first black woman ele- ever elected to the U.S. Congress from the state of Georgia. Right there is a huge accomplishment that was never given, you know, never put in real perspective, you know, mm-hmm. this, all of this post-slavery stuff that's still happening Mm -hmm. and so um she was a she was a democratic party leader she was elected in 1992 came into congress january of 93 i was there because i was working for congressman owens at the time um at that point in in january of 93 at that point was the largest incoming freshman group of women members of congress ever and the national women's political caucus had a big program one evening and i went to it and they all were Mm -hmm. They all walked up the aisle. It was so cool. It was really cool. And Cynthia came by. I was so proud, you know. But mm-hmm. um, when the people who really run the Democratic and Republican parties and this whole mm-hmm. sham of uh, democracy, political system, mm-hmm. but when those people realized that they actually could not make words come out of Cynthia McKinney's mouth, that Cynthia McKinney spoke for what she thought was right and what she thought would represent the interests of her constituency citizens of the state of Georgia, they decided, mm-hmm. I guess, that she just was not, this was not going to work out. She needed to be derailed, mm-hmm. which is what they eventually did. So this documentary mm-hmm. follows Cynthia's um, political uh, career around 2002, the period of 2002 to 2004. Um, uh, she was elected six terms. That's uh, 12 years from 1992, and then in 2002, she was defeated uh, because of a corrupt process. Uh, the, Demo- the Republican Party actually uh, surreptitiously, but not completely surreptitiously, because uh, when you go down to the southern states, black people are not hard to find. Some places we're the majority, but we're not treated like the majority. And mm-hmm. so um, Cynthia... Um, the Republican Party targeted her for, for defeat. They actually picked a candidate, Denise Majet, uh, who was not really a, a Democrat, but they uh, somehow made a deal with Denise Majet. And then what was so astounding that in this documentary, American Blackout, it's an absolutely incredible documentary, um, they show the process and talk with people who were involved in the process. The uh, in her county, where Cynthia was uh, the representative, virtually almost all the registered Republicans suddenly re-registered as Democrats. Okay, mm-hmm. for for a primary, uh, mm. primary. What was that in 2002? And um, in order to vote for Denise Majette, then they all switched back to Republicans. Cynthia was mm-hmm. defeated, and actually, one of the things that the documentary brought out which is important today, was about supporting um, progressive political battles, local political battles, but that have national import, national significance. And when Cynthia Mm -hmm. won her seat back in 2002, it was not without the support of members of the Black Caucus, other progressive people in the Democratic Party and outside the Democratic Party, um, and and getting uh, funding uh, from around the country. Uh, she, she, but the, but the core was that her constituency did vote for her. The people who live in her mm-hmm. district, the majority of them, did mm-hmm. vote for her. And that the Republicans were thwarted at that point in pulling another trick like they did in 2002. They, mm-hmm. Then apparently they did it again 
at, at another point. And so finally, I think Cynthia, I don't know if she, how she decided not to run for office again, but she had already been, you know, elected by the people mm-hmm. of Georgia for six terms. But, um, and that's, that's Georgia. We haven't talked, like I said, South Carolina, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Florida. Those were the places where they overthrew democratically elected representatives, governments. They destroyed black businesses. They killed and lynched and raped people. Um, they drove black people out of those four states. Um, and, and, and essentially grabbed the, the white supremacists, grabbed power, and they hold it in those states till today. Yeah. But now they've, um, yeah, now they've I, refined not to interrupt and brought it you, to but, the country. But, but hold on a second, Marion. Uh, we have about, according to my clock, two minutes. So can what? you can you get, yes, dear heart. Uh, we started a little late, so I don't know if it runs a little late, just the freedom, or if, you know, because we started uh, about 10 minutes after or, or, okay. or thereabouts. So I don't know if we have an extra 10 minutes on top of that. But it's uh, 4:58. I'm going to, I'm going to see how far we get with the, <laughs> with you finishing your thought, and getting to the the topic at hand. But however, this has been exciting and interesting, and we will we will work until you finish your thought. So hopefully it will still be running. Well, maybe uh, we can organize a part two because I wasn't sure. Okay. Since, uh, yeah, Leslie, right. I thought that it was a a longer program. But anyway, um. Yeah, the I, I'm not that, aware, but I could be wrong. I she I, I she did not give me specific uh, endpoints, but I assume that it was an hour. So we can okay. we can do a part two. Um, however, I want to make a comment about something you said about uh, identity, and you didn't say yeah. the word identity, but we were ta- you were talking about identity. Yeah, one of the struggles, my observation has been one of the struggles with Black America in terms of supporting. As we know, we're not monolithic; we don't all think the same. We don't have the background, et cetera. Et cetera and we are well. I would qualify set, that. Hold on, just let me finish. And I would say that uh, you were basically forging, even with your organization, of trying to create a language that, that binds us. We are all under oppression together, but I'd say the background perspectives are a little different. However, what I want to say, having to do with identity, has to deal with um, go, growing up. I, too, came through the 70s as a young person, uh, having going through the black power days of, 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 of forging an identity on the black power around and around the black power issues. One of the things that I've observed is the, the identity issues that is black America is the notion that we are working uh, with, we're like a state within the nation or a nation within a nation. And therefore many, I would say within our group, um, either have a love-hate relationship where they do not want to identify as Americans, never mind that there are blacks in America. They don't necessarily want to identify as American or contrast young people who don't understand or identify as black Americans, that, they're, that they know they're black, but they, they have not been uh, politicized in terms of ideology about what the issues are that will affect them as they grow up. And this is my perspective coming out of, you know, teaching a very young adolescent group that that when they look in the mirror, this is what I often boil it down to, when they look in the mirror, they don't see a black person. They see the reflection of the imagery that uh, white America, you mentioned that group, the, organiza- the, uh, the meeting up in Canada where you had so-called diversity at the table but you did not have the, the homegrown uh, representatives, that the right. diversity teachers oftentimes will, will, if you have children, when there was a big move to push multiculturalism and diversity, it was often from the, from the, uh, the majority American group telling uh, the, 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 the black group that this is how you are to think about it. And I think that that confused our children so that, even as they got older, without the outside influence of 
say a, a black power movement, they still they seem to be in confusion. They may have had some strength from original the original group of hip hop. Remember when Russell Simmons was running around talking about hip hop generation, but that was around social socializing issues as opposed to social issues. They were some social issues, but it was about the look, the this, the that. And I often when I said, are our black children seeing their true identity within the country? And, and again, I give both sides, that there are people who are black who don't see themselves as black in America, and then there are people who are black who don't see themselves as American within their blackness. You understand? Mm-hmm. Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah. So it's so just, this is a, some of the very that's a very big slice of bread you just carved off, honey. <laughs> so we, that's why we're gonna definitely have that part two to to talk and chew on this bread a little more. <laughs> part <laughs> because, two. Part three. Uh-huh. Because you know because, you raised this issue. One thing that you raised, which is core to the well, the fact is. We are operating in these environments, the Afro-descendants of the Americas. First of all, we total a population uh, throughout the Americas. We total a population of a quarter of a billion people, okay? Mm-hmm. A quarter of a billion people. That's a, mm-hmm. a market. That's a country. We don't mm-hmm. need nobody else, you know. That's right. Um, <laughs> I believe that we do need to negotiate with uh, the Native Americans, indigenous people, mm-hmm. but we already, mm-hmm. in, some, in some places, we've already had that process has been going on for some time simply because mm-hmm. of um, the, the, the existence issues. If, who, everybody who's at the, across the Americas, who's at the bottom the most everywhere is the blacks or the indigenous people or both. Okay, um, and that wasn't by accident. But um, pe- these countries tend to really, I think, still view us as their property. They mm-hmm. may not consciously really think of it that way, but a lot of times they do. Talking about well, our Negroes and you know the black people from <laughs> no, here. No, no. Let's <laughs> let's go back to our our, our uh, uh, the current president who who referred to it. To, um, you see our, see our blacks over there. Remember in one of his, uh, during his campaign stop? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was exactly. So it's, the, it's a paternalistic okay, the, version of dealing with exactly. adult, right. adult people. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let me put this mm-hmm. in a bigger context, actually. The first thing, Mariam, is that people have a right to know. They have a real right to understand the trans, not only the transatlantic slave trade, but also the Indian Ocean slave trade that was out of Africa also, but that went mm-hmm. to the east. My husband, yeah. who is a retired Italian diplomat, he and I, we lived in Nairobi from 2001 to 2004, which is interesting because I had never even heard of any Barack Obama. Basically nobody outside of Illinois had at that time. And mm-hmm. um, it happens that his father had wandered over to the Americas, to the U.S., from uh, Kenya. Um, mm-hmm. Well, actually, I think the U.S. paid his plane ticket. That's what happened. The United States government brought him over here. But mm-hmm. bottom line is that um, um, I learned a lot about Kenya and about Africa and East Africa in particular by living there. Mm-hmm. And so Africa had it was actually the Arabs, had a slave trade from East Africa, from Kenya, that, the eastern coastline of Africa, that mm-hmm. predates the transatlantic slave trade. It was mm-hmm. bigger than the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah. And those descendants mm-hmm. are now in the Middle East and Asia. Mm-hmm. They're in places as far as like, like Iraq. Now, we've been at war mm-hmm. in Iraq for how long, but nobody ever really, I, I saw the one news report, and I'll never forget it as long as I live, but it, it was an Asian journalist, I think he was on CNN possibly, um, who did a story on these black people, unmistakably African people in Basra, Iraq, okay? Mm-hmm. And folks are in Pakistan, and mm-hmm. they're, like us, they're in Yemen, they're all through the Middle East. Um, and they were yeah. taken from Ethiopia, Somalia, Kenya, mm-hmm. Tanzania. Mm-hmm. They were taken through Zanzibar, et cetera. But yeah. um, 
to back to the transatlantic slave trade because I think that we, those of us who are from the product of the transatlantic slave trade, you and me mm-hmm. and the other mm-hmm. 298 mil, no, 298 million, no, 248 million, whatever of us, <laughs> we, we, the people in the Middle East, the Africans in the Middle East, the, the, the people from the Indian Ocean slave trade are counting on us to recognize mm-hmm. them because nobody else is really recognizing them properly. Yes. They are not getting the uh, help That's a good point, and I'm going to stop you there. Now, let me just add this, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm making notes about where we're stopping. One of the things I want okay. to say <laughs> is, are you aware of the work of uh, Renoko Rashidi? Yes, yes. I, I, I yes. know him a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you so see, I've, yeah. He's well, a man, hold on. and it's very different when black women do certain things. Go ahead, yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, okay, we could get into that, but I just want yeah. to why I bring it up in context of what you just said. Is that's part of, I mean, I, I know him personally, and he's traveled. I've been to his workshops several times. But one of the things is that his mission is to expose those areas that you just called to go Good. and visit and document those places, and that's why I mentioned him. However, yeah. that is that you when you say, "Oh, he's a man," that's another whole <laughs> hour it that sure, we would have sure to is. go to. <laughs> and and I look forward to have it. To talk about that from a whole hour. But however, I want to. I, I, want, to, I, am I, want, to, I want to. Thank you so much. Um, I want to call. Um, What's our sister journalist who just passed away, and she was um, a Guyanese oh, background? Um, oh, um, um, um. Gwen Eiffel. Gwen Eiffel. I didn't know she was Guyanese Gwen, background. Yes, she was. Yes, I yes. Gwen, sister Gwen Eiffel, and um, I want to thank Leslie, Leslie, for having this program and for. Oh, hey, hi. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to thank you, lady. Yes, she was. <laughs> uh, okay, well, well, we've had a lively conversation, and uh, mm-hmm. Sister Marion is quite engaging and has a lot on her mind and a lot to share. And I look forward, we're looking forward to a part two or three or four. <laughs> yes, I told you, she's great. The so, two of you are awesome. Oh, well, thank you. Do something face to face in New York, baby, in, up in yes. New York. So. So that's yeah, what we're great. discussing, and that's quite possible because um, TNLRadio.com, um, I'm looking, I'm already starting to beat a drum for having a town hall event here in, in, in the neighborhood, and I'm looking for us to do more things at that radio station, and so perhaps we can do a simulcast or use the studio or use some of whatever. I'm already thinking down the road. That sounds great. <laughs> Do you oh all, my. Um, are you both aware? I know that Leslie is aware, but um, are you aware of the International Decade for People of African Descent, Mariam? Yes, I do. We are now. Yes, I am. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're now we're about in year three. Through. Oh, yes. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. We're in year three. <laughs> yes, I remember. Because I have lots yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Recognition. Well, you know what? Maybe one of the things. Those are the three things. One of the things that I thought could come of that. Just, I'm glad you mentioned that. Is that there is not enough highlighting of that whole notion of this is the the decade of of, of black of African people, descent. people of African what, descent, right? Mm-hmm. People of people of African descent. What I would say is perhaps on. There needs to be a timeline as to what has been done because one of our biggest failings, I think, at times has been not documenting our progress, and so perhaps that should be part of what our aim or mission is if we work together to document what's actually happening because certainly no one else will. So, <laughs> so we've right, got to document right. what, what's happening and towards the mission statement for the reason why it was declared the uh, the decade of, of of African descent. Okay, all right. So I am I am going to just thank you once again, Sister Marion, and I really appreciate your sharing your very many varied and multi layered <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> and we well, will. We didn't quite gracias, cover the topic. Obrigada and merci uh-huh. since a lot of us don't even speak English. <laughs> yes, merci beaucoup. Gracias. I can I can swing with those two. <laughs> well, well, I understand too. 
But um, okay. So all right. So Leslie, thank you so much for allowing me to sit, stand in or sit in for you uh, on the gist of freedom. As always, I look forward to meeting up and talking some more. Again, Marion, we look forward to having being allowed the opportunity to do part two, and we will nail down some finite topics. But it was a wonderful mm-hmm. hour, and I really appreciate it. So thank you so much, and have a good night, everyone. Thank you all. all. Right. Okay. Thanks. Good night. Ciao. All right. Ciao, ciao. Okay. Bye-bye.